If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's up? Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Coffee in California Politics. Uh, I'm back. Only gone for a little bit of time, uh, taking some time to visit family and stuff like that. Um, so back uh, to normal scheduling program, uh, your regularly scheduled BAT program. Uh, today, tomorrow night, we're going to have a podcast with Cynthia and Ray Perez. Uh, we're going to talk about all about what happened at the GOP convention because there was a lot of stuff, I believe, that happened. I wanted to get their input. I wish I could have been there just to see what was going on. Uh, we'll we'll kind of cut through the myths and what happened and the rumors and stuff like that and really get a feel for like what happened, what went down, what's the view of the party going forward. And really, it's going to just be them talking. I'm just going to kind of like prod them to see what they want to say and um, kind of give you guys an insider look at what happened at the GOP convention, because I think it's important to people know what happens at a GOP convention. Uh, I know a lot of people always say, well, you don't know anything until you go to a, like a GOP convention. You don't know. Well, yeah, like it's true. You don't really know all the backroom deals and what happens in those smoky rooms. And, the, the you know, people say all politics is back smoky rooms and stuff like that. Uh, but this time it, it's true. A lot of these deals and within the party are kind of made in these back smoky rooms over drinks and cigars and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, that's when most of the, the schmoozing is done when. I scratch your back, you scratch my back sort of thing. It all happens. It's party politics. So just when you think there's politics of blue versus red or whatever, there's politics within the party and politics can get messy within the party. And as we saw this past weekend, it looked like there was a lot of politics going on and, and whether or not any of that really happened or whether it was just kind of rumor. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Um, as always, uh, if you want to support the show, uh, you can always support by buying merchandise merchandise always goes to help promote the show help bring people on like editors and stuff like that help us build the platform help build it out because i have some ideas for what i want the platform to be grow it get better equipment maybe a more of a news site stuff like that that's an idea that's been ringing around in my head maybe like a california news site and we'll see but as always all of your purchases are greatly appreciated and they always go 100 percent to growing this platform so um, today we're going to talk about what's going on with Twitter and why this is such a big deal and why I think this is sort of like a turning point. Um, ironically, someone just asked, can we get Daniel Mercury for governor on here? Uh, I learned last night, Daniel Mercury has blocked me. So, um, that's fun. I don't know what I said, but, uh, can't find him. He, he blocked me. So I don't think he'd want to come on anyway. Uh, today we're going to talk about what's going on with Twitter. It's not really California related. I mean, I, it's one of those things that it, it has a impact across the country. Um, and it, it's, it kind of, he, I guess I should say it's not really specifically California. I know I like to stay on California topics, but this is sort of a big issue. And the reason I think it's such a big issue is because it, it, it could potentially be a turning point and sort of the power struggle of where things are going in this country. And I think it's not just Twitter. And I think Twitter is like the first domino that's starting to fall where people are starting to go. I'm tired of all of this. I'm tired of the power structure the way it is. And I would, and we're going to change it now. Thanks a lot to, um, uh, Elon Musk for doing this. Uh, hopefully he follows through and he does say he wants to make this a truly free speech platform. I did see that Marjorie Taylor Greene came back. Uh, I don't know if that had anything to do with Elon Musk. Um, I see a lot of people are coming back. They were just kind of like boycotting the, the, the platform. Now they're coming back and they're using the platform because I think they feel like they're, they can speak their minds a little bit more like Mark Levin came back. He was never banned. I think he just didn't want to be on the platform anymore. Uh, there's a fake Mike Lindell account that's kind of making its way around uh, Twitter fear, the Twitter verse. And um, yeah, I, that's not real. Don't go follow that. Uh, but it, it's interesting to say it's interesting to see what will a lot of questions. And I think a lot of people have questions. Is he going to bring back President Trump? Is he going to bring back a lot of people? Is he going to bring back like an Alex Jones? Um, 
is he going to turn off a lot of these algorithms that if you say stuff that doesn't go with the narrative or with the approved Twitter narrative, uh, that are they still going to get banned? Are they still going to get pushed off the platform? And, but I think this is, this is more telling and, and the left is very good. They're, they're going to use their weak attempts that they always do. The status will always use their same attempts to say, this has to do with democracy and free speech. And it's always about protecting democracy. Whenever something happens, it's always about protecting democracy. Um, that seems to be just their blanket statement for everything. Everything has to be protecting democracy. Of course, it has to be their uh, version or their flavor of democracy, mind you. Uh, and also that we're not really truly a democracy. We're a representative republic. They didn't want a democracy. That's besides the point. It's always these vague sort of moralistic arguments of we have to preserve and defend democracy. Uh, when in reality, letting people speak freely in the public square of the internet is really what would help preserve democracy. That's what it all comes down to. Um, and I think this isn't really about that at all. And they're going to say that, but that's not what it really is about. It's about the fact that they are basically freaking out that they're losing control of the narrative. And if they lose control of the narrative and people are allowed to actually debate their ideas, they're going to run scared and that they probably will, people will might be attracted to other ideas. And it seems that even if you're on Twitter and I, I blame you if you're not on Twitter, I'm on Twitter because I like to follow the news and see what politicians are saying, or, or I get updates up to the minute updates on Twitter. Um, but it is definitely when you go on Twitter, it's definitely geared a certain way. I don't know many, how many times I have to tell Twitter, I don't want to see George Takai on my feed anymore. I don't want to see George Takai you know, pissing and moaning about one thing or another that Republicans are doing over and over and over again. Um, and I don't want to see the same people pushed up. I see Bette Midler pushed up all the time because it's, oh, you're interested in actors. I never said I was interested in actors. Uh, so please remove this from my feed. But you can see what they're doing, which is pushing a lot of this stuff up to make it seem like it's very important and that you should be following it. And that's the manipulation that a lot of people... Uh, aren't fans of and i hope that someone like elon musk comes in and says look let's just make it free speech whatever's the most popular is the most popular it gets retweeted i don't know if any of you are fans of we're on reddit back in around 2015 uh there was the subreddit called the donald and the donald was basically a subreddit dedicated to donald trump's campaign and running for president now it got so popular to the point that people were going to the Donald and upvoting it so much. And there were so many people on the subreddit that it was hitting the front page of Reddit. Now on Reddit, what happens is if you go to the front page of Reddit, you're seeing what's the most popular topic that is on Reddit. So it's purely democratic. It's that's purely democratic. Um, and they would see like, Oh, there's this funny cat video. Here's a funny thing from whatever. Here's a good essay or something like that. Here's someone drawing something, something mildly interesting. But it, for a while, it was the front page was all posts from the Donald because so many people were going there and upvoting a lot of these posts that that was the most popular thing. And it wasn't until Reddit changed the algorithm to basically make it so the Donald was never on the front page of Reddit, no matter how popular it was. And that's one reason. That's one example of censorship and manipulating the algorithm. Same thing with Twitter. A lot of this is they're pushing the algorithm. They're pushing the f stories that you need to see or they want you to see. Not that you need to see them. There's a lot of stories they show me I don't need to see that they want you to see. They also create this sort of bubble that makes you believe this is important and this is what everybody's talking about. Everyone's talking about this particular issue, even though not really. Not a lot of people are really talking about this issue. And one thing I've heard is that only like 3% of people on Twitter are actually super active on Twitter. So you're really getting an echo chamber of people who are just really, really um, active on Twitter. Um, so there are a couple of funny, and I'm going to go over a couple articles to show you why I think this really isn't about them defending free speech. I think it's their worldview and their grasp on power is collapsing. And that could be a good start. And it could be a big victory. This may be the biggest victory we get in 2022. This may make a whole big difference in 2022. Um, we'll see. I, you know, he bought all the shares. The deal is done. Now that he owns it 100%, he could do basically whatever he wants. It's his company. 
And, well, he's going to take a private, which means he can go do whatever he wants, which is a good thing. Um, and he's going to implement a lot of changes. But there's this article, Zero Hedge was talking about... Uh, actually, there's two Zero Hedge articles I want to go over. Let's see if I can pull it up. Twitter's top lawyer breaks down in tears during Musk takeover meeting. Twitter's top lawyer, Vajaya Gadi, uh, reportedly broke down tears during a virtual meeting with the company's policy and legal teams to discuss the ramification of Elon Musk's purchase of the social media platform. Now, if you're not familiar with who she is, Vijaya, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Vijaya Gadi. Um, she was on the Joe Rogan show with Jack Dorsey and Tim Pool, and Tim Pool spent a good amount of time grilling this lady as to why do your policies only favor one or the other? I would recommend you go back and look at it. It's on YouTube. You can go look Tim Pool and 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 Twitter and Joe Rogan, all that. It'll pop up. There's like 20 minute videos where you can watch. You don't have to watch the whole two hours, but you can watch at least a clip of it. And he kind of presses her on a lot of stuff and says. You say that it doesn't favor one ide- ideology or other, and she tries to play it off as, well, no, I don't look at anything says politics. I, I just approach it as is. And Tim Pool makes the point that, but if you're banning people because of misgendering, you're already going against what is a conservative point of view. A conservative point of view would be, we don't really believe in transgender and this misgendering and stuff like that. Um, and for you to ban people because they don't believe in it, shows that you're only siding with one side of the argument. It's a very good video. Uh, his whole, he kind of grills them. Also, Freedom Tunes does a really funny sketch on it as well. Um, according to Politico, Gotti cried during the meeting as she expressed concerns about how the company could change and, quote, acknowledged that there are significant uncertainties about what the company will look like under Musk's leadership. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainties about what it will look like. I think they're more afraid that it won't look like the way they want it to look like. I think that's one thing that they're scared about and why they're crying. Having been with Twitter since 2011, Gaddy was the key executive in charge of trust and safety, legal and public policy functions, described by Politico as the company's moral authority. So she said she's the moral authority. Gaddy holds one of the most controversial positions at Twitter, her teams decide how to moderate content. That's made her a target of right-wing criticism, particularly when Twitter blocked the distribution of a New York Post article about President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, in 2020. She faced a renewed wave of criticism after multiple reports confirmed she was behind the decision to ban Trump from Twitter. That's from Politico. In other words, Gaddy is likely the exec who signed off on Zero Hedge's February 2020 ban for speculation that COVID-19 may have emerged from a Wuhan lab and President Trump's January 2021 ban in connection with the Capitol riot. She has shepherded Twitter through some of its most contentious political battles, including the decisions to remove all political advertising and boot former President Donald Trump from the platform in the wake of January 6th, a position that has earned her devoted fans within Twitter as well as a large contingent of right-wing critics. But as news of Musk's official takeover broke, policy and legal employees fretted at the meeting about what is what his leadership could mean for Twitter's crafted online speech rules, including its policies against hate speech, misinformation, and even political advertising. She played a leading role in the negotiation, and she said, I think everyone at Twitter, regardless of how they feel about the news, is feeling reflective and emotional, said a Twitter employee. We've gone through a lot of in the past two years. I think it's generally instigated a lot of reflection. I think this was more of an acknowledgement of the uncertainty everyone is feeling right now. As a reminder, Gaddy is crying because her new boss is a free speech absolutionist while she wants to silence divergent opinions from her own. Um, right. So first big person crying on a virtual meeting. Not a good start. Uh, and she's been at the head of it and she's played the babe in the woods routine. You can go watch the Joe Rogan, Tim pool videos. She plays the, the, the babe in the woods. I don't know what I'm talking about. This is just content moderation. We don't want this. We don't want that. Um, but she's been a big proponent of getting rid of political views. It seems her decisions always go one way and it's very evident which way it goes and a lot of their policies only favor one point of view. Um, so 
she's obviously crying. I don't know. She's crying because she's afraid of what Elon Musk is going to do. And all the hard work she has done to censor and deplatform people is all going to be for naught because Elon Musk is going to come in. He's going to put everyone back on the platform and they're not going to put all these algorithms in there that control what people see and what people do. Uh, and she's very upset about that because she thinks that's very that's a bad thing. Um, but again, statists, statists exist not only in the government, they exist also in private companies. Um, it's just a different form of entity that they like to push their power on you through. And she is definitely a class. She's a classic statist where she believes I know better than you what you should see. I'm going to tell you my personal opinion of what you should see. I'm going to create the policies. I'm going to deplatform people that I don't agree with. Me personally, that's her whole thing is I don't agree with them. So therefore, I'm going to get rid of them off the platform. Um, but, you know, if, if she's a obviously successful lawyer, if she's been the top lawyer at Twitter. I'm sure she could go get a very good job somewhere else in Silicon Valley or she could learn to code. That, that was my favorite comeback is that a lot of people should learn to code if they're leaving Twitter. Um, oh, no, that was in response to CNN Plus. That was another thing. CNN Plus going down the tubes, which is a good part of all of this. Um, this is another article from Zero Hedge. Zero Hedge has been all about this. If you don't check out Zero Hedge, I always urge you, if you want to really read like good in-depth analysis about what's going on, especially about the economy and the stock market, go check out Zero Hedge. I have no partnership with them, but they're just really a really good source. Whenever something goes on in the economy, the first place I go is Zero Hedge because I can watch Bloomberg. I could watch CNBC. I could watch the numbers and see what's going on. They do a much better job of breaking down why things happen. Why did the stock market drop almost a thousand points last week? Stuff like that. Um, this is another article from Zero Hedge that says leaked audio from Twitter execs reveals scramble to cope with must takeover. Leaked audio from a Monday Twitter staff meeting reveal how executives are trying to get a handle on Elon Musk's purchase of the platform, particularly how they will reconcile Musk's free speech absolutism, which matches the law, and existing content moderation policies, which they use to silent conservatives in the name of public health. Um, in a 45-minute recording of a company-wide obtained by Project Veritas, board member Brett Taylor, CEO Parag Agrawa, Agrawa, and chief marketing officer and head of people, head of people, chief marketing officer, head of people. I don't know what that, what the heck is a head of people? Leslie Berlin discussed the direction of the company. Elon made it clear in public that a large part of the reason he bought the platform was because of our moderation policies and disagreements and how we deal with health. This puts Twitter service and trust and safety as well as anybody who cares about health on the platform in a very difficult position. Health is the other thing. It's either in a fighting to, to preserve democracy or your health, because that's the role of everybody else is to protect your health, not your own. It's the job of everybody else to protect your health. Um, so health and democracy, those are the two absolutisms from status, which is they need to help you protect those two things. Uh, Taylor began by saying, quote, I also just want to acknowledge all the emotions of today. It is an emotional day. I want to acknowledge it. By law, we are required to act in the best interest of the shareholders. Correct. Agrawal, Agrawal echoed the sentiment and said, it's important to acknowledge that all of you have many different feelings about what is happening. He continued, quote, many of you concerned. Some of you are excited. Many people here are waiting to understand how this goes and have an open mind. Agrawal adds that the company's current content moderation policies are, quote, fundamental to keeping Twitter safe and growing. We'll find a way. We'll be finding a way to have Elon talk with all of you at the soonest possible opportunity because he owns the company and he owns all of you. So as you've heard from all of us, we don't have all the answers. And that's his boss now. Agro was also saying, heard saying, I believe Twitter grows as a service, allows for more people to use the product and have a better experience because we're able to make the conversation on Twitter be safe because we have built tools, processes for people to make feel safe, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes that th makes things simpler. Sometimes that means changing product incentives to be able to solve problems, uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and the last article I wanted to go off of is The Federalist. Another great site if you ever want to read like editorials, go read The Federalist. They have a Great articles. I, I always like reading because they're, they're in depth. They're like actual op-eds. Like they actually do their research. Um, and I'm not going to read too much about this, but it's it basically talking about how yesterday uh, or in the past couple of days, 
Jen Psaki came out and said, now all of a sudden they're up for uh, 230 reform. Now all of a sudden the Democrats want to talk about whether they can reform Section 230. And Section 230 has been thrown around a lot. I'm not sure that necessarily it needs to be um, reformed or it needs to be done so. Um, I've talked with other of my colleagues who are much more First Amendment oriented and they believe that it wouldn't really do anything if you got rid of Section 230. Um, I've heard people say that you have to get rid of Section 230. Um, people keep saying they love my T-shirt. I I forget where I got this from. This is an old shirt, but um, yeah. Section 230 is, for those who don't know, is a, uh, um, it's a law. It's a, a part of a law that basically protects publishers, not publishers, uh, platforms that say that they are neutral from any liability of what people are posting online. Um, so a lot of these social media companies have been hiding behind 230 saying, well, we don't really, we don't, we don't have to control, we're not liable for anything, we can't be sued for anything because we're just putting this stuff up, we're just a platform. Um, however, when you get into whether or not you are a publisher, now if you're a publisher, you can be liable for stuff you put out there or don't put out there. And they don't want to be classified as a publisher because then they can be open to legal liability. And the problem is, is that they're skirting this law and no one's really talking about it. there's this gray area. Of, well, is Twitter a publisher or are they a platform? Because if Twitter is deciding what you are seeing and the Hunter Biden story is probably the most egregious example of where Twitter says, I'm, we're going to decide on behalf of you, what you see, that's we, there's information out there. We're going to decide whether to publish it or not. That is one of the biggest egregious example, whether they are a publisher or whether they are a platform, but that's a whole different wonky argument under the first amendment. It's interesting now that the Democrats all of a sudden in the wake of Elon Musk, all of a sudden want to reform section 230, and they're looking into new antitrust laws, whether they need to pass antitrust laws. Now, granted, Elon Musk's other companies have nothing to do with Twitter. He owns Tesla. He owns SpaceX, which are two completely separate companies that have really no overlap. And now he owns Twitter. So he owns a social media company, electric car company, and a space company. None of those are working together to create some sort of monopoly, as opposed to, let's say, Facebook, which gobbled up Instagram and WhatsApp and if they could, would probably try and buy it. I, I mean, if Facebook could, they would have likely tried to buy Twitter, too, and then make that part of their platform. But that would violate antitrust because they're all social media and you can't have one company controlling everything. Um, it's interesting now that all of a sudden they're in favor of all this stuff. Now they want to look into antitrust, which I don't know what argument they're going to make for antitrust because all of his companies are different. Uh, they didn't seem to have a problem with antitrust and Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, who owns an entertainment company, who owns uh, a lot of brick and mortar stores now, which owns distribution, uh, Amazon services that you can use as online uh, databases. Then he goes out and buys legacy media, which is the Washington Post. No one seemed to really care about antitrust then. And now all of a sudden, the Democrats are really concerned with antitrust and Section 230. Why is this all important? Why am I rambling on about all this stuff in Section 230? Because it's not about protecting democracy. That's what they're going to tell you. That's what they're going to shove down your throat is that it's about protecting democracy. But at the end of the day, it's about the fact that they lost one of their little play toys that they loved so much, which was Twitter, that they could lean on Twitter and that they could have Twitter do their bidding and that they could have Twitter use it as a cudgel rather than a safe space where people could just talk about and exchange ideas. They used it basically as another arm of their media, another arm of the corporate media, as another arm of CNN, um, MSNBC, all of that. And the fact that they've lost this shiny toy, and this is a big one. Twitter is a big one because if you look at why Twitter is so important to them, 2016 and President Donald Trump would have never happened were it not for Twitter, right? Bernie Sanders, the rise of Bernie Sanders would have never happened if it weren't for Twitter. Now, Bernie Sanders gets away with staying on the platform because he's a good lapdog. And when time comes to back out of the race and accept his payout or wherever, he does what the Democratic Party does. 
Donald Trump, though, was the exception. They can't allow people to go around the media, which they believe the media should be telling you what to believe. They want to censor and craft the story in the way that you should be hearing it. They think they have this moral authority and this moral obligation that they should be telling you how the story should be interpreted. You don't get to determine it yourself. We don't want to give you all the facts because we want to give you the facts that will push our agenda. And a lot of journalists nowadays are under that guise of it's their moral obligation to tell you the story to push a certain agenda. Now, I'm not saying all journalists, but there are a lot of journalists who come out of these Ivy League left-leaning schools who believe that's their job. Their job is not to just give you the facts. It's to push a certain narrative. Um, but 2016 Donald Trump was why they decided they had to really start cramping clamping down on Twitter. And they're afraid that if Elon Musk comes in now, two years before the next presidential election, and all of a sudden Twitter's a free speech platform where anybody can share their information, anybody can post stories, anybody can get directly to the people, they're scared that that's really going to cripple their ability to control the narrative and power. And that not, not having that ability to control the narrative pulls away from their power. That's what it really comes down to. It's not about saving democracy. It's not about public health. It's about the fact that at the end of the day, they don't believe that their arguments should be challenged in an open town square. And that's the sad thing is that they, they have used this sort of tactic for a long time where they just will cut out the other argument. They'll cut out the other opinion. They'll censor the other side. And then they'll claim that, well, our arguments are better and you should believe in us. No, because your arguments are never really presented with an opposing point of view. And that's why it's scary to them. They're scared that they're losing their power and that people will be able to go around the media and just get right to the people, millions and millions and millions of people, mind you, and put out their point of view, just like in 2016 with Donald Trump. He was able to go around the media get in front of a story, which was also another thing that was really kind of crafty by Donald Trump. He was always able, because of Twitter, he was able to just kind of send out a quick tweet and then get out in front of a story. And I've said this before, Donald Trump as one person, why he was so good at debates is because he's good at framing the argument. He wants to frame the argument beneficial to him, whether he was right or wrong. He was very good at getting the argument in his favor. So with Twitter, he was able to jump ahead of the media, jump ahead of stories and frame the argument best to him. And he can say, well, there's this article and then and the, the fake news media is going to say this, you know, he'd always be like, the fake news is going to lie about this. I know it. Okay. So here's what really happened. And that would be able to frame the argument so that when the story came out, people would look at it with a skeptical eye and say, okay, now I, I maybe I agree with them. So, this is all about power. And if Twitter is allowed to exist as a free speech absolutionist sort of platform, it is a huge, huge threat to their power coming up in 2022 and 2024. And they've already got enough on their plate, right? They've already got enough on their plate. They, they bet it all on senile old Joe Biden. And now they're facing unpopular approval ratings, which are probably propped up even more than they are. Um, he's, he's falling fast. People just don't believe this is really the president. And they're really in a bad position where if they lose Twitter, that's really their last hope to kind of craft the story. Now, if they lose Twitter and people really start talking about how bad President Biden is, about how his administration's failing, all of that stuff. And you have a lot of the critics who come out on Twitter and that's what people start to see on Twitter as being the most popular. Now you're really losing control of the story. Now you're really losing control. And people like Aron DeSantis could get around the media by tweeting and getting in front of a lot of these stories. So in the end, of the, it's part of a backlash because thankfully Elon Musk did it. You know, not you or I could not do it. Uh, it had to be someone like an Elon Musk who took on Twitter. Um, if it's successful, I fully believe a lot of these other alternative platforms are going to go by the wayside. I think Trump's truth, I was going to call it Trump social. I think truth social is likely going to go by the wayside. People will rejoin Twitter, um, getter for all of it. I think that will probably go by the wayside. 
I think a lot of people will just go back to Twitter because that's where everybody's going to be. And that's where the most of the activity is going to be. Unless you want to stay on Getter and you want to stay on Parler. I always forget about Parler too. Parler's in there. You got Parler, you got Getter, you got uh, Truth Soul. It's too many. It's too much, um, too many different platforms. You're not going to get your voice out that many ways. Um, and now they're worried that like what happens if Twitter starts changing? Does that mean Facebook has to start changing? Facebook owns Instagram and WhatsApp and all that. So now you're going to look at, well, is Instagram going to start changing? Um, because people see that if Twitter does really well with this free speech absolutionist idea, now is Facebook going to start doing it? Because Facebook's a public company too, and they got to do what their shareholders want them to do in the best interest of the shareholders. Um, but as part of this backlash, I think, because a lot of people are, and, and as we're sort of hitting a, a point where the momentum, I feel like, is changing. You have parents going to school board meetings, fighting out a lot of these issues like CRT and all that stuff. You have parents who are getting involved in local politics now, who are paying attention to their state legislatures, which is what I've always been saying for four years, is that you got to pay attention to these local politics. And now you're starting to see if... Twitter comes back to a free speech absolutist platform. Fantastic. That's going to be great. Um, so the, I think the backlash is happening. Twitter, CNN plus absolute disgrace only got what? 150,000 people. It wasn't even that much. They were projecting 2 million and I think they only got like 15,000 within the first couple of weeks. And I want to know, I want to meet one of those people who actually signed up for CNN plus who said, I love CNN so much. I'm going to pay extra to get more content from CNN, even though it's free everywhere. I'm going to buy more CNN. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe a thousand of those counts were like fake names under Brian Stelter because he wanted to try and pump it up. Um, and they're freaking out and they're freaking out because no one's paying attention to them. And it really comes down to if these platforms allow for the real discussion of ideas and conversations the whole culture and the whole narrative changes because I believe that a lot of these arguments fail when they have to meet other opposing arguments and people who can actually debate them. Um, that's the bottom line. You know, someone I mentioned before, it's not really that they care about it. It sounds like they're just bullies because they can't win their own argument. That's correct. They can't win their own argument. Uh, a lot of times their arguments don't make sense. Their arguments only think, one step ahead. They don't think of the unintended consequences of their actions. So that's really where the backlash begins. We'll see if Twitter does become this free speech absolutionist company. We'll see how fast Elon Musk works. I thought this came through really quickly. I, I was surprised that it actually happened so quickly because these things usually take a long time. When you buy a company worth billions of dollars, you don't just kind of wake up one morning and go, I'm going to buy, okay, call my attorneys and we're going to buy the company. No, it, it took a, usually this takes a while. So I, I would like to believe that if Elon Musk is going to buy, if, well, he already bought Twitter. Now that he bought Twitter, he's not going to sit around on his hands and do nothing. He's going to start going in there and making changes immediately. And the first thing I think he's going to do is he's going to go private. He owns all the shares. That's fine. Um, and start making big changes. I bet the CEO either resigns or moves away because he doesn't agree with Elon Musk. I bet this top lawyer, she probably resigns and moves away. Good. I mean, I, whatever. That's You have that freedom to do that. You have the freedom to get, get, get out of there. Um, and we'll see. And if this becomes the turning point, we'll all look back in 2022 when Elon Musk bought Twitter and opened it up and allowed people to debate ideas and allowed to expose people to ideas and new ideas and different ideas and opposing ideas that are not always pushed the same way, we may see a turning point in our society. We may see it in culture. We may see it in our elections about how people vote. So I think I'm optimistic. I'm always a glass half full kind of guy. I like to think that this is a good start and that having Twitter as a free speech platform that where we can all go to and really talk about what we're seeing and what people really are thinking is a good good step forward because we really need that. So with that said, got about 20 minutes to get comments and questions and stuff like that. Because as always on California politics, part of this is we sit and we all chat about California politics or whatever topic you really want to talk about. It's called Coffee in California Politics, but it could also be about national politics because 
national politics does have an effect on California. So um, I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. Again, thank you to everyone who is purchasing the uh, the mug. The mug you see here, this is an old version. Um, someone had, I, you know, I thought it looked good, but someone had explained to me they wanted it a little bit brighter. I've heard that comment, so I made the 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 what do you call it? The, the logo a lot brighter. Uh, all the wording and like that, so it really pops off the mug. Now you can actually see California Underground and all that. Uh, someone said he should fire the CEO and lawyer. He needs people who will support and agree with his purpose. I believe if they don't agree with him, he can't. He will. I don't think he's afraid of that. Um, I don't think he's a big fan of the CEO. I think they've come to turn or come to blows uh, about that. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a good chance that he does fire the CEO. I think there's a good chance they just resign. Nobody wants to be fired. Even at that level, no one wants to be fired because it's a black mark on your your resume of like you got fired from being the CEO of Twitter. If you resign under your own principles or whatever you want to make up, absolutely fine. That's, you know, people see that as going out with integrity as opposed to being fired. So yeah, I, I, I fully expect that he's going to get people in there. Like he's probably going to clean house. There's at the top level, Twitter is not going to be the same. He's not going to keep the same same CEO because none of these people agree with his stance on free speech. Absolutism. They all believe that there should be these strong content moderations. Um, and I, I think he's going to clean house. He's going to put good people in there. He's built two companies um, he's still worth billions and billions of dollars. Uh, and I think he puts good people. Sometimes being a good CEO and a good business owner is about picking the right people to help run your company. And I think he's very good at that. So he'll put the right people in place. Not Devin Nunes, which I have no idea why they put Devin Nunes in charge of Truth Social. The minute I saw that news break, I said, well, Truth Social is basically doomed because I don't think he knows what the hell he's doing. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I The rumor has it that Trump can't come back to Twitter because of a contract issue. But if he owns, I don't know if he owns the company, can he come back? Um, I don't know. Maybe he can post on both or something like that. So um, somebody asked a good question. Do you think with everything happening to this state, does Newsom have an uphill battle to get reelected recalls up and down the state crime up, gas prices up, mass exodus, high housing costs, etc. Well, that's a question that we have talked about a lot when it comes to good old noodles. Um, yeah, he's not as popular as he should be. Um, but he still has the benefit that there's a two to one uh, Democratic advantage when it comes to voters. Right. He still has that two to one Democratic advantage. So he only has to get 50 percent of his people to show up even less than that, because you're not getting a hundred percent of Republicans to show up to vote for one guy. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure Brian Dolly is a great guy. I I've heard nice things about him from through, from people. When I posted that he got the endorsement from the California Republican party, I will tell you the vast overwhelming majority of people DMing me back was who I have no idea who this guy is. Um, already you're off the bat. You're you've lost. Um, if you can't get name recognition like that and he does have an uphill battle. I think he has an uphill battle. If he has to fight face off against someone like a Michael Schellenberger. Um, and I was explaining this before is because the one thing in California that makes it sort of a unique state is obviously the two to one disadvantage of Republicans. Obviously you also have the fact that a lot of people in California still are influenced by the, the the sort of the tinge or I guess the stain of, of what's going on with the, the national Republican, not the stain. They call it a stain um, whereby if they hear the word Republican, they automatically think, oh, they think January 6th, they think Trump and stuff like that. And that's a lot of people in California. That's a lot of independents. And that's a lot of moderate Democrats. However, if you take someone who is a no party preference, who comes with solutions that are legitimate solutions and you go to someone who says, well, why do you support Gavin Newsom? And they say, well, I su give me a legitimate reason. Okay, why would you support Gavin Newsom over this other entity that's actually proposing stuff? Is not a Republican, has nothing to do with the Republican Party. 
why would you pick Gavin Newsom over that? Is it because of just party loyalty? And that's basically the only answer you could say. You could say, well, he hasn't done anything to help with crime. He hasn't done anything with homelessness. I was reading an article this morning. All of the gas tax proposal, relief proposals have failed, are dying on the vine. I mean, the Republican one was voted down immediately. The Democratic proposal of $400 checks is floundering. Newsom's proposal is also floundering. No one's doing anything. And we're headed into summer, so gas prices are going to go up because of the, the blend. And there's objectively a lot of bad things happening under Gavin Newsom. So if you have someone who is a no-party preference who you can say, here's a better solution, here's a better solution, here's a better solution, here's a better solution, and then you go to someone and say, well, why are you voting for Gavin Newsom? Objectively, he's not that good. Why would you not vote for this other guy who's not a Republican, who's just running to make good policy? That, I think, makes it more of an interesting race. Because then you're looking at people and saying, so you're just voting because you're a Democrat party loyalist. You don't really care about solutions. You just want to vote for a Democrat. And that kind of makes it a little bit harder for a lot of people to swallow. So is it an uphill battle for Brian Dolly? Absolutely. I don't think a lot of people know who the heck he is. He's got less than a month for people to find out who he is. Um, he got the endorsement, which is better than in 2018 when, uh, you know, nobody got the endorsement. I think neither John Cox or Travis Allen got the endorsement. So that, that kind of hurt both of them. But then Trump came in and gave John Cox the endorsement and then he got through. Let's see. Uh, can I explain? Actually, there's another question before that. Uh, will we actually see Gascon get recalled? I believe so. I think there's a lot of momentum behind that. Last time I checked that they're collecting a lot of signatures. Can you explain the contract issue? Um, I mean, this is a rumor, but hypothetically, if he signed a contract with a lot of investors, people who backed he may have signed a contract that said, I'm exclusively going to be on Truth Social because if you're going to invest in a platform with its biggest content creator, its biggest draw, which would be President Trump, and you want to make sure that person stays on your platform, it would be like Joe Rogan. Like, why did Joe Rogan buy, like, why did they pay Joe Rogan so much money to stay, to go to Spotify? Well, he's going to be on Spotify. That's it. He's not going to YouTube, he's not going anywhere else. They basically own all his content. Now, he gets other stuff like previous videos that he had before he went to Spotify are still on. Um, but after that, you can't find any of his new videos. So that's sort of, I think, the contract that they probably would have negotiated. Again, I don't know if that's true or not. That may be the case where they signed this contract or he said to his investors, I'm not going to go back to Twitter if they let me. I'm going to stay on Truth Social. Um, so maybe that's why he quickly said, I'm not going to go back to Twitter, but he hasn't posted on true social. So I'm not really sure why he's so worried about true social. I don't see California being redeemed, meaning Newsom will stay in power and California will continue to crumble. Um, again, I think the problem is, is that you got to break people out of this mindset and, and Newsom only keeps winning because of the two to one democratic advantage. Um, and slow, slowly but surely, you got to chip away at what people's expectations of a California politician are and what their solutions are. Um, and that's how you're going to change California is people kind of waking up and going, we need better solutions and we got to get there somehow. Um, I don't care who it is, but we got to get there somehow. So Newsom also only cares about running for president. He's never really done a lot in a lot of his positions. So do you think Sleepy Joe is going to forgive student loans? Um I think he'll he'll do a half measure where he'll likely just forgive like 50 per, like $50,000 of it. He's not going to forgive all of it. Um the government really makes a lot of money off student loans, which is a crime in my mind. The fact that the government loans you money and makes money off of it to go to school to me seems like a crime. Of course, I'm of the belief that the government shouldn't have gotten involved with student loans in the beginning and now because they're government backed loans colleges just hand out loans like nothing they know that it's not really they're not on the hook for it so what do they care they'll just keep issuing loans and loans and i mean it was so easy to get loans um i remember before that when i went to college there it was you had to go through private institutions to get loans and you had to kind of wait for them to actually approve you then after they kind of switched it over and the government took over all student loans, 
then it just became like everyone can get a student loan no matter what you're doing everyone can go to college um and when that happens it raises the price of all these universities tuition's out of control now because why not people just take out loans to pay for it and that's it you know i i think the government if if they were going to do something and they say okay we're going to forgive all student loans and then put an end to it be like but we're also not going to issue any new student loans after this date that might be that you can't just forgive all past student loans and then not learn from your mistake and continue to issue student loans through the government that doesn't really make any sense because you're going to get in the same problem 10 years from now where people have a whole bunch of student loans the tuition keeps rising and you're, you're gonna have to forgive more student loans so um i had a solution that i always thought was the best solution which is uh and it's really easy and it works works really well it, you know, I think it would work really well and it'd be easy on both sides and it'd be, I think it'd be a conservative free economy kind of solution, which is you should make federal student loans a pre-tax payment. You should be able to pay your student loans to the government. And if it's, let's say you pay $500 a month, you can break that up into two paychecks or how many times do you get paid a month? So let's say you get paid twice. Guess what? You're paying two fifty pre-tax because you have more money pre-tax than you do after tax, you shouldn't be paying after tax, getting taxed, paying interest to the government. It just, it seems like a lot of double dipping for the government. So that's my solution. I think people, you'd see people pay down, they'd get an instant raise um, and they'd be able to pay down their loans a lot faster. So that's my solution. I don't know. I've, I've tried to propose it to a couple of Congress people. They don't really, they don't seem to be that interested because the government makes a ton of money off of student loans although they haven't been making a ton of money off student loans in the past two years so they keep pushing and kicking that can down the road um and he also kicked it out to i believe august which is right before the election so it'll be interesting to see if he brings back student loans so that by september you vote all of a sudden student loans start back up in september all of a sudden people are paying for student loans again um no, I think that might change a lot of people's minds when it comes to midterms. So student loans should be vetted and issued based on degrees, return of investment. Yeah, I, I, I think that's hard to, I think that's really hard to quantify. Um, well, I mean, I guess you could look at like Department of Labor and you can look at average salaries. Like if someone's going for a political science pre-law, there's a good chance they could make money or a business degree or anything like that. Um, I don't know how you would do that, to be completely honest. Uh, but I also think the proliferation of all these different majors of gender studies or whatever, all of this came about because there is this government backing of loans and because the money supply is just endless and it doesn't matter. Like as many people show up to college, um, if they all get full paid loans, you could create as many freaking majors as you want because there's going to be people. And if people only go to college based on because they can actually pay back their loans, you'd probably wouldn't see a lot of these gender studies, whatever, all these weird studies and, and majors because there'd be no money in the university to hire professors to have that curriculum and to host that curriculum because there'd be no students going into it. Um, but because of the proliferation of easy money and easy loans, we're seeing a lot of these wild and crazy studies and, and, and majors because at the end of the day, what it could, I mean, the university doesn't really care what they, they sell you. They're making the money. At the end of the day, they're making the money. They, they, they don't care if they're selling you gender studies or business or engineering or a medical degree. They're paying all the, they're getting paid all the same. So they don't really care. Um, and people go to a certain school because of one thing or another. It used to be people would pick schools based on their programs. Like if one school, the school I went to had a really good, uh, pharmacology program. So if you wanted to be a pharmacist, you went to this school. It was a really good school. They had a really good uh, music program. So if you wanted to be a musician, like a classical musician, you'd go to this school because they had an amazing conservatory. You'd pick schools based on where you want to go and what programs they had, not just I want to show up at whatever state and do gender studies. So um, need to promote trade schools as well. I think trade schools should be free or really, really cheap for people to go to. Um, so 
philosophy and gender studies major. You're a philosophy and gender studies major? I'm sorry about that. I met a lot of philosophy majors. There's a lot of crossover between political science and philosophy. Philosophy majors were usually the people who would like get stoned on a Saturday night and sit around and drink wine and stuff and be like, be like, yo, man, like, just listen to like, this is what Plato said. This is what we should be doing, man. Um, so I was always a fan of the political philosophy, John Locke, Kant, all that stuff. Um, Thomas Hobbes, not so much Plato. Plato's good, but you know, if you're a philosophy major, I feel like it's just a lot of made up philosophy, not made up philosophy. I should say it's a lot of, it's hard to quantify philosophy. Uh, put your littles in public preschool and public school where they are told to go to a better college. Yeah. I think that's the other thing, um, is that people who, you know, if I could go back and do it all over again, if I could go back to where I was, I went to a high school where college was the number one thing and you were not a success coming out of this high school unless you went to a really good college, like an Ivy league or a very fancy private school. Um, with the big bricks and the ivy and all that stuff. Those were the schools that they wanted you to go to. You couldn't go to like a state school because if you went to a state school coming out of this high school, you were viewed as a failure. Um, but I think if I could go back and do it all over again, I don't know, maybe I would have done military to help pay for school. Maybe I would have done state school. Um, I would have done it completely different. So they they do sell you this idea that the only the successful can you can only be successful if you go to these fancy schools let's see do do, do, do. take out government loan get indoctrinated into liberal thinking graduate college with the government owning your mind and your paychecks um (laughs) ever thought of doing a podcast with alex epstein from power hour he's california based and wrote the book moral case for fossil fuels no, I've never even heard of uh, that podcast, but I'd love to reach out to him. I may, I've, now that you said that, I'll reach out to him and, and let him know. Alex Epstein from Power Hour. I'm going to reach out to him. Um, that's the one thing I need to do more of. Is I need to go to other podcasts. I have a lot of people on my podcast. I need to other. I need to go to other people's podcasts. So that's always fun when you're a guest. It's a lot more. F- it's a lot easier to be a guest than to be the host because the host, you have to get everything ready. You have to do your research. You have to know sort of where the um, the episode is going to go. You have to keep it moving. Um, as a guest, you kind of just sit there and answer questions and have a good time. What do you think about the news on the L.A. Sheriff? What news on the L.A. Sheriff? I saw something about he was stopping the publication of a news story or something like that that was... I, I don't know enough to really comment on it. So, you know, I like to actually read and figure out what I'm talking about before I come out and say anything, which is not really, not really kind of typical in today's society of, of rushing to judgment and figuring stuff out. And I'm guilty of it. I've done stuff too. I've posted stories that I didn't really look into and done a mea culpa afterwards and been like oh i didn't mean to really post that i didn't really i didn't look into it or something like that so about supposedly investigating a journalist oh yeah i saw that i didn't read the whole article i'd have to read the whole article to see what is going on um specifically about it so yeah Mm -mm -mm. i'll have to read it and look into it i saw it i don't know what the full story is i'm sure they're going to use it against him um I don't like his opponent. His opponent is um, a complete radical who I I wouldn't want to put in charge of L.A. County. Uh, Sometimes it's one of those cases. A lot of people are like, well, they're both Democrats. And it's like, well, Villanueva is clearly the better Democrat, because if you've seen what he's done over the past couple of years, he's still the better Democrat than whoever this new crazy guy is who wants to, you know, not really enforce a lot of immigration laws he doesn't want to enforce a lot of laws um so got on late i just want to know your thoughts on the board of supervisor voting on the definition of a woman yeah i saw that so what the question is regarding um the san diego board of supervisors again these are the priorities of california voted to 
enact an ordinance that would redefine what is a woman um, to also include transgenders, which are men. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't get it. And I've said this before. I don't, I don't really understand. I don't understand. And I, I think this is the new cudgel. Um, this is the new cudgel. <laughs> What's up, Zach? Good to see you. Zach, who heads up the fed up with Fletcher pack is, is here. Check him out. Follow. If you're in San Diego and you want to help defeat Nathan Fletcher, go check out Zach and fed up with Fletcher pack. Um, I don't, I just don't understand. I I, I think Tim pool made a really, really good point about this. And he said that the reason, um, stuff like this keeps getting pushed is because the battle for so long was same sex marriage. The battle for so long was how oh, we just, we, we want same sex marriage. I mean, we, we push, we push, we push. Then finally, same sex marriage was legalized through the Supreme court, you know, nationally, but like on a state level, California had done it for a while or, but then the Supreme court came down with their, uh, a burger fell, uh, decision. Did you think all of these nonprofits and NGOs were just going to pack up and leave once same sex marriage was legalized? No, because you make a lot of money with fighting for a cause and they had to find a new cause. So it wasn't really, um, it wasn't going to stop and they had to find a new thing to push. And I think transgenderism is the new same sex marriage. And I think they've latched onto it and made it seem like this, this big issue, huge issue of civil rights and all that stuff. And that's what they're doing. And you get a lot of these organizations and then governments pay a lot of these nonprofits to push a lot of this stuff. Um, so, and yeah, that's, that's where I think it's going. Cause I don't understand. It's such a small portion of the population. It's like less than 1% that they're making it seem like they're making it seem like it's this huge national issue that like there's, there's just millions and millions of transgenders who are just getting treated horribly when it's like less than 1% of the entire U S population that's transgender, but they're making it everything. It's everything is transgenders. When uh, I've never met a transgender in my whole life and I live in California, I haven't met one. Um, I haven't run into one. So, um, I mean, you would think sooner or later, and if they're that many, you would run into at least one person who's transgender. I haven't. So, um, somebody asked, uh, you may be answered this, but which midterm candidate should you pay attention to? I mean, whichever one is running in your district, um, you should be paying attention to them. Uh, that's the most important thing that doesn't stop you from supporting other candidates because you can support candidates from all over. Uh, but the first one, the first midterm candidate you should be paying attention to is the one running in your local race that will represent you. Pay attention to that one. See if you can support them. See if you can volunteer for them. That's a big thing. I'm making this pitch right now. If you can volunteer for a candidate, sometimes that goes farther than money. Money is good. Volunteering also helps way more. If you can dial phones, now they make it super easy. Where you, I think they have apps and stuff where you can do it from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to go to like some phone bank or something like that. You can just do it from the comfort of your own home. You can walk. I know people don't like walking, um, but if you're a bubbly personality, you can go walk, help with the candidate by walking. Um, so that's the first person. The first person should always be whoever is going to be representing you. That's the midterm candidate you should be paying attention to. And supporting and helping because they're going to be representing you. That's the most important thing. Um, there's some other races that are going to be good. I always say like Tamika Hamilton's race is it's going to be close, but um, we, there's an opportunity there for her to flip a seat that has been reliably Democrat for a while. Um, and she got very close last time. So if you're looking at congressional candidates, she's, she's a good one to look to. Um, there's plenty of other assembly seats. Uh, I know Cole Bricado is out there. He's He's a great guy. Uh, June Cutter is running for assembly. Um, so, you know, look into a lot of assembly. And, and I've always said this, like congre- Congress is fine. Assembly and Senate is really in this state. Assembly and Senate is really where we're going to make the inroads. Uh, they push in this since the Dems control. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If the Dems didn't control the board of supervisors in San Diego, there would be uh, there would there would really be no 
Um, what am I looking for? Why am I blanking here? There would it wouldn't be on the agenda. It wouldn't be something that they'd bring up because it's Nathan Fletcher is the chair. Any idea who's running against Tasha Boner Horowitz for the seventy sixth assembly district? I think the seventy seventh seventy six switched, and I'm pretty sure seventy six is now uh, Brian Manshine and June Cutter and Christy Bruce Lee are running in the primary against him. So. I already mentioned June Cutter, so she's one to pay attention to. Do, 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 do they make it seem like a majority of people, and then we have to change all norms for it? Yeah. They are 0.01%. Please don't write me in. I don't want to. Please pull in your story who's ever met a transgender. That might actually be a good question, because I've never met one. I, I, don't, I don't know anybody who's met a, a transgender person. It's not like I, I shelter myself. I go out and I do things. So the fact that I, I still haven't met or ran into them. Uh, we call on a pose. They pass them anyway. Yeah, because they're not beholden to... Well, they think they're not beholden to a lot of voters. But let them face the wrath. Uh, uh, Tara Lawson-Remmer is in a competitive district here in San Diego for the Board of Supervisors. And... You know, let her push all this stuff. She said Christians are immoral and stuff like that. She's in a competitive district. So I don't know why she thinks leaning left in a, a competitive district is a good idea. So District 79. Did I get that wrong? I the, See, I had this problem before. When, like Natasha came on uh, last week. Uh, and it's hard because you look up a lot of these districts even on Ballotopedia, they haven't switched all the districts yet because a lot of stuff's not finalized. So you may look up a district and it's not the same district. So you kind of got to go to the candidate site and then look it up. And it's, it's really confusing right now. Uh, Dr. Pan just compared headlights to COVID. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, do, 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 do. one of my good friends is trans female. Man. Okay. So there we go. This is one person. Um, what do we think of Michael Schellenberger? Um, I, I think he's got solutions and a lot of people don't have solutions. That's the only problem. They fight out about politics and ideology, but they don't have solutions. I want to see solutions. I don't care where it comes from. I want to see solutions. I want to see solutions to homelessness. I want to see solutions to crime, affordability, energy, all that stuff. I want to see a solution. Um, I don't care if it comes from D R libertarian, no party preference, whatever. I want to see solutions. So that's where, where I'm at, you know, California is, and because it's a jungle primary, um, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just about getting the right person. Uh, if seats do get flipped, how does board reverse that ordinance? Uh, they just bring it up. They just bring it up and scratch it. You know, it's just like it, it, to repeal a law, you have to pass the repeal of the law. So they would have to pass the repeal of the ordinance. So if Republicans took over, uh, I don't know if they'd have the backbone to do this, but they could pass an ordinance to repeal that prior ordinance. And then that would be over. The only transgender person I know and have a friendship established is a Trump supporter. Oh, okay. Then again, he immigrated from Russia. Oh my goodness, he's a Russian agent. Jeez. All right. Do, 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 do solutions. I don't need to hear, I'll fight for you. What does that even mean? Tell me what you'll do. Yeah, I'm all about solutions. You know, and a lot of people will sell you on culture and, and uh, theater and all that stuff and ideology. And at the end of the day, I just want solutions. I really don't care. We're in a dire place now in California. I don't care where it comes from. People need to, we need to get some solutions going. Um, and that may be the beginning of common sense solutions and politics in Cal in the rest of the country. You know, think about it that way. If California starts to go back towards electing politicians who are about common sense solutions, it does kind of a ripple effect across the country where people say, hey, if this works in California, maybe we run in other parts of the country. So or we run on that stuff. Isn't it crazy that solutions being a part of your platform? Are you taking guests? I always take guests. Yeah. I mean, every, every Thursday is always about some sort of guest. Um, this podcast. So coffee and California politics, even though it's live on Instagram, there's always an audio version of it afterwards. And, uh, that way, if you don't want to sit here and watch the whole video, you can just listen to it while you're in the car or whatever. 
And um, but this podcast is just me rambling off, talking my mind. But on Thursday nights, it's always usually I, I like to have a guest on somebody who, whether it's a politician running, policymaker, or somebody like that, um, head of a nonprofit. So if you know of guests who want to come on, have them reach out. Very easy. California Underground at ProtonMail.com. Solutions over relatable leadership. Yep. Mm-mm-mm. All right. So with that, thanks everybody for tuning in. Glad to be back. Um, uh, my friends in Nevada say politicians look to California as a muse. That's not a good thing. Hopefully Nevada trails, uh, you know, changes and they, they kind of change things up. I feel like Nevada doesn't really want to be California. Um, all right. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Good to be back, back on normal schedule, you know, Wednesdays and Thursday nights. And, um, thanks to everybody who bought a mug. Um, who's Will Rush? Oh, I know. I know who Will Rush is. Yeah. Um, but thank you for everyone who is purchasing the mug. There's all other sorts of stuff in the store as well. There's the noodle shirt. There's the, um, my favorite, which is the elites hate you. It's one of my favorite sweatshirts. I I wear it around all the time. Um, it's also one of my favorite sayings that the elites hate you because they do. And, uh, the new one that I really like, I think it looks really crisp and came out really well is the, uh, stop brownout support nuclear. That's a really big one. Um, and there'll be more merchandise. Um, but also there's going to be a Patreon being rolling out soon with extra benefits of like an extra show. I'm thinking about maybe doing like uh, California underground on the rocks. It'll be sort of more of a casual over drinks kind of show uncensored where we just kind of talk about what we really want to talk about only available to Patreon members. So you can join Patreon support for everyone always says for the price of a coffee, you can buy, you can support this podcast, but yeah, big plans to grow the platform immensely uh, and get more eyeballs and, and kind of grow it and, the other thing you can do if you don't want to buy merchandise and you don't want to support Patreon, I always ask people, just text one person. Just text one person about this account and this podcast and say, hey, uh, I think you'd really enjoy this podcast. Go check it out. That goes even farther sometimes than all the other support. Is just you texting a friend or a family member and saying, hey, you should check out this podcast. I think you'd really like it. So with that Good to be back. I'll see you guys. Oh, I forgot to mention flying without a mask. Oh, my gosh. It was so nice. It was so great to fly without a mask. You know, two flights without a mask on. Um, So it was whew, it was weird walking into the airport. No mask. Getting on a plane. No mask. The the flight attendants were very happy. Um, There's still probably probably about 20 percent of people were still wearing masks. But, oh, I forgot to mention that. That was the best experience was actually breathing, not sitting there feeling like you're, you're, you can't breathe for five hours. It was great. Being able to actually breathe on a plane was it made it so much more enjoyable. It's the little things. Um, but as far as I know, it's, it hasn't been overturned. So, you know, go enjoy your flights right now and traveling. All right. So I'll see you guys tomorrow night on the podcast. And as always, Wednesday mornings, coffee in California politics. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 